preaching a series of sermons through the book of 2 Timothy, and today we come to chapter 3. The series is entitled, Keep the Faith, Keep the Faith, and today we're going to talk about uh, knowing uh, the situation in our world, knowing what God wants us to know, and really what it comes down to is just doing the right thing, you know? And and really, I want you to see my heart this morning. Uh, My heart for you is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to live for God, okay? And you're going to do the right thing. Even though the rest of the world is going crazy, we're going to live for the Lord, all right? And we're going to do what is right. In his book called The Holy Bible, God gives us his analysis of our society. He explains what's going on in the world and where we are headed in human history. He reveals what is in the human heart and also what is in God's divine mind. Today we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the Lord offers His authoritative analysis of our times. The chapter begins with a warning. And I I hate to start off on this bleak note, but here it is. Here is the warning that God gives. He is telling us in verse 1 that our world and our society is rotten to the core. Alright? There it is. Point number one. Our world is rotten to the core. Notice what he says in verse 1. But know this. Alright? This is what we need to know. That in the last days perilous times will come. When you see that phrase In the last days, in the New Testament, it it typically refers to the period of time between the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Back on the day of Pentecost found in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended on His church. And Peter stood up to preach and explain to the assembled multitude what God was going to do. And Peter told us during his sermon that the outpouring of God's Spirit was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecies about the last days. So basically what Peter was doing was ushering in through his preaching the last days. And I'm here to tell you we are living in the last days. The writer of the book of Hebrews opens his book by saying that While in the past God has spoken through the prophets in various ways and at various times, in these last days He has spoken to us through His Son. Peter warned that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and ridiculing the idea that Jesus Christ is coming back. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said that in the last days, perilous times will come. And he is warning Timothy of current events in Timothy's world and events which will soon take place. So, the last days began with the day of Pentecost. And the last days will end with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And church, it really seems to me that if Peter and Paul thought they were living in the last days, then you and I are living in the last days of the last days. <laughs> I mean, this is really it. These are the last days. So, 
what kind of time is this going to be? And again, I hate to start off so, so negatively with, with doom and, and gloom. But, but here's that. What time is this? It's going to be a really bad time. This is a terrible time. He says in verse 1, but know this, that in the last day, perilous times will come. Some of the newer translations use the word terrible times. NIV says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. The Greek word used here means great days of difficulty, even days of violence. This word is only used one other time in the entire Bible, and that is found in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus was in the region of the Gadarenes, and he encountered two demon-possessed men who were very violent. They were so violent that people wouldn't even go that way. They avoided that entire area. And the word violent in Matthew chapter 8 to describe these two demon-possessed men is the exact same word that we have in 2 Timothy chapter 3 translated terrible or perilous. And the next word tells us why the last days will be so terrible and so perilous and so violent. It's because of people. Verse 1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Verse 2, for men. For men. So people are the problem. Now that doesn't surprise us any, does it? huh? Pe people are the reason this world is rotten to the core. And now the Lord is going to give us a list of 19 characteristics which describe people in the last days. You want to know how bad people are in the last days? Well, he tells us right here in verses 2 through 5, a list of 19 characteristics that describe the people of this day. Let me read it to you. Verse 2, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people you are to turn away. Nineteen characteristics of the people of the last days. Now, I don't have time this morning to look at all 19 characteristics, but I do want to look at the last one. Because I think the last one really describes all the other 18 as well. Here's the last one. It says that these people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. In other words, in the last days... People are going to be very religious, yet they will deny the power of the God of the Bible. Now, from time to time, I, I try to warn you about the evil of internet pornography. It's unbelievable how many internet sites there are that are devoted to pornography. This is a major industry around the world, and it is a very real and dangerous threat to the family unit. It can destroy families. But 
I read the other day something that surprised me. According to a recent CNN report, there are actually more internet sites devoted to religion than there are devoted to pornography. With a click of a mouse, you can suddenly summon up any one of thousands of different sects or cults or religions. Literally millions upon millions of electronic pages devoted to an ever-growing number of religions. Never in human history has there been such a proliferation of religious information. Our world has never been more religious than it is right now. But it proves what Paul is saying. People have a form of godliness, but they are denying its power at the core. Because all these religions are just that. They are sects. They are cults. They are religion. It isn't real gospel faith. It is not real Christ-serving, heaven-going, life-changing, behavior-transforming faith. It is only a form of religion. It's characteristic of this day. I mean, religion is everywhere. And, and I don't know, the, I think the devil has convinced us, even as Christians, that if, that if people just kind of say the right thing and, and throw in a religious term or a religious word or, or have some kind of association that seems to be religion, we think everything is okay. But you know what? There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be saved, and that is through the blood of Jesus. Well, I could go on and on, but let me tell you, the chapter goes on to describe these people even further. Look at verses 6 and 7. I've always been intrigued with verse 6. It says, For of this sort are those who creep into households. So we we've, we have these deceptive teachers creeping into people's houses, all right? They're making captives Gullible women, loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts. Boy, I'd like to preach about that for a little bit, but I think I might just kind of avoid it. I don't know it. There it is, these deceptive teachers coming into house, houses, our homes, making captive gullible women, loaded down with sins. Verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Church, isn't that characteristic of, of, of our age? What an assessment of our age. We are the best educated people in history ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Being deceived. Being led astray. But, but then he goes on and describes this further in verses 8 and 9. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Now these are two men that their names actually do not appear in the Old Testament. We believe they were a part of the delegation of Pharaoh. When Moses stood against Pharaoh and performed his miracles. Remember there were magicians of Pharaoh that tried to conjure up these same miracles. We believe these two men were part of that, of that magician group. And they were opposing Moses. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men, we talked about women a while ago, men of corrupt minds, 
disapprove concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So, the last days according to the Bible will be characterized by perilous times filled with morally flawed men and morally weak women. Lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that, my friends, is the Bible's analysis of our age. This is the last days. We're living in the last days. And again, I, 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 can't, I hate to keep this, this gloom and doom, but we are rotten to the core. I mean, this world is rotten. It's bad. And the reason it's so rotten is because we have men and women who have given themselves to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the world, and the sins of pleasure. They are consumed with worldliness. And therefore, this world is rotten to the core. Here's the second thing about the last days, though. While our society may be rotten to the core... The Lord says that there are going to be some extraordinary people in the last days who are solid to the core. Now, that's encouraging to me. I do know that this world is rotten to the core, but you know what? I can look around, I can look around in this room and I can see some men and women who are solid to the core. And I praise God for that. Without any shame or embarrassment, Paul points to himself as an example for Timothy to follow. Look at verse number 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and even being deceived. Now, the Bible used 19 different terms to describe a society that is rotten to the core. But only nine terms are necessary to describe someone who is solid to the core. And it begins with our teaching. Because he started in verse number 10 by saying, You, however, know about my doctrine. Timothy, you, you know about the doctrine I've taught you. Now, here's something real important for us to understand, church. Good character, godly character, doing the right thing, flows out of right thinking. Before you do right, you've got to think right. And right thinking is produced by correct teaching or correct doctrine. That leads to what Paul described here, a godly lifestyle, a deep sense of purpose, qualities such as faith and love and endurance and persecution and patience. Now, here's the real issue. Here's what Paul is getting to. What happens... When a society that is rotten to the core is confronted by a group of people who are solid to the core. 
What happens when these two collide? Well, the answer is given in verse 12. He said, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And here's the primary point Paul is making in 2 Timothy chapter 3. When a society that is rotten to the core confronts a group of Christians who are solid to the core, the only thing the world knows how to do is persecute the Christians. That's their retaliation. That's their reaction. They're rotten to the core. They are anti-God. What do they do when they confront someone who is pro-God? They attack. And we see this as the pattern over and over again throughout Christian history. The, the Apostle Paul was writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome during the days of the Emperor Nero. Now, historians tell us that Nero was a blonde, blue-eyed young man who became the most powerful man in the world, the Emperor of Rome. He did that when he was only 16 years old due to the political intrigues and manipulations of his mother, who was a very ruthless and ambitious woman, and by the way, whom Nero had murdered. A lot of love in that family, all right? A lot of good feelings there. Nero came to the throne, 16 years old, in A.D. 54. Ten short years later, in July of A.D. 64, a great fire started at the southeastern end of the Circus Maximus in shops containing flammable goods. The flames quickly spread and burned for five days, destroying much of the city of Rome. And when the citizens of Rome began blaming Nero for the fire, well, he accused the Christians of doing it. They were his scapegoat. He blamed the Christians and thus... The persecution began. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote, They covered Christians with the skins of animals. Then they were torn apart by dogs and perished. Or they were nailed to crosses. Or were doomed to the flames and burnt. To serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. And Nero even offered his own gardens for this spectacle. This was, church, the beginning of the widespread state-sponsored persecution against Christians. Now, of course, there was opposition against Christianity from the, from the very beginning of the days in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And we also read about isolated incidents of persecution in the lives and, and travel of the Apostle Paul and the other apostles. But here in the day of Nero... We have the first widespread campaign to eradicate Christianity from the Roman Empire. And during the reign of Nero, both Paul and Peter were executed. There have been horrendous periods of persecution against Christians throughout history. And it would change your life to study the stories of these heroes of the faith who gave their life as martyrs for Christ. But what Paul is saying here is that these periods of persecution are not isolated points in history. They are the norm. Here's what Paul is saying. Everyone who wants to live a godly life for Jesus Christ 
will be persecuted. It's the bottom line. And, and, and you know, why are we even amazed at it? Why, why do we even blink at the idea? Because Jesus, our Savior, said, listen, if they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Paul is telling us in the last days, we will be persecuted. Persecution is the normal state of affairs when it comes to a holy church that is in the midst of a depraved world. Right now, there are reported 600 million Christians who are facing persecution for their faith. You retort, but preacher, no one in my family has been put in jail or beaten for their faith. Maybe not yet. But I'm here to tell you there are alarming trends in our world and society and in America today that causes great alarm. School children are forbidden to pray before football games. Nativity scenes are banned from public square. The media routinely ridicules and demonizes Christian politicians. Hollywood pictures Christians as Bible-thumping bigots. Professors who believe in intelligent design are ostracized and they are denied tenure at universities. There is a new militant atheism taking over our academic world. And in thousands of classrooms, secular professors consider it their personal mission to destroy the faith of Christian college students. And of recent, our Supreme Court has even been involved in the attack. And my friend, I am not, I am not going to be alarmed at all. If during my lifetime, our religious, godly freedoms are taken away from us here in America. And it becomes a crime to be a Christian. Now this is not the same blatant persecution that is occurring in other nations. But let me tell you, it is just as dangerous and just as wrong. And according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is what happens... When a society that is rotten to the core meets a group of people who are believers in Jesus Christ who are solid to the core, it always results in persecution. Oh boy, I've got you down, don't I? Man, you're thinking, I didn't come here today for this. I wanted some of that happy stuff, man. Well, you know what? We've got to take the Bible as a whole. And it's warning us in this passage. This is, this is the way our world is. We need to know that, church. We are living in a godless world. It's rotten to the core. Uh, we are to be solid to the core. So what do we do? I mean, really, what, it comes down to this. What do we do? What do we do living in this godless world? How do we respond well, that's what the rest of this chapter is about. I love the next four words, especially as they appear in the NIV. And in verse number 14, he says, but as for you, whoo, just kind of gets me going right there. We're living in a godless world, rotten to the core. But as for you, and I'm saying that to you guys, all right? We're the you. But as for you, this is how we are to live. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, 
knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what are we to do? Living in this godless world, he tells us what we are. We are to stay strong and steady. That's what we are to do. We're to keep living for Jesus. We're to keep doing what is right. Now we stay strong and steady for two reasons. First, we do it because we've got a good heritage. Notice the way Paul put it here. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learned it, that from childhood you've been taught the Holy Scriptures. For 2,000 years, church listen to me, for 2,000 years, a succession of faithful martyrs and persecuted saints have faithfully handed down the gospel to us. They endured prison and fire and sword. And with broken and bloody hands, they have handed to us the truth of the word of God. It is a good heritage. It's been entrusted to us. Because of that, we need to stay steady and strong. I really do like the way that that, that Paul said it here and the emphasis he made to Timothy. He said that from childhood. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. You need to stay strong and steady because your mother and grandmother taught you this word of truth and you can trust them. Man, what what a challenge to us as parents and grandparents that we hand down this godly heritage to our kids and our grandkids. Let me tell you, they're not going to get it in the world. They're not going to get it in school. They're not going to get it in the public square. If they're going to be taught the word of God, it's going to be because you hand it down to them. We stay strong and steady because of this message that's been handed down to us. second reason we stay strong and steady is because we have a message that is true and trustworthy. Verse number 16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. The word of God has been breathed out by God himself. That is, it has been inspired and given by God. This is His infallible, inerrant, inspired Word. It's His message to the human race. It makes us wise unto salvation, and it gives us the doctrine, the correction, and the instruction that we need to be thoroughly equipped to do anything that God tells us to do. This is really one of the most important verses in the entire Bible on the subject of divine inspiration of Scripture. And I think the message is clear. We live in terrible times. We we live in terrible times. But we have to be true blue to Christ, no matter what the cost. Guys, let me, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. Or how much persecution we face. Or how unpopular it is to live for Christ. We have got to be true blue to Him. The reason we can do that 
is because the truth of the gospel has been handed down to us by people we trust and the word of the gospel has been breathed out by a God that we can trust. And so we can say, faith of our fathers, living faith, we will be true to thee till death. And then live it. I, I don't know. To me, to me, the thing that just pops out from this scripture is this. You know what? We are called to be a Christ follower. A follower of Jesus Christ. And no matter what the cost that is involved in that, we are to be counted faithful. And you know what that means, church? It's real simple. It means this. That as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am going to do the right thing. No matter what. No matter what the world says. No, no matter what politicians say. No matter what the popular opinion is. I do the right thing. Now how hard is that? Well apparently it's pretty difficult. Because if you, you know what, just to be real honest. Even those of us in this room... Some of you who are solid to the core, when push comes to shove, we don't always do the right thing. We know what it is, we just don't always do it. That aggravates me. Can I tell you that? But you know what ticks me off even more? It's when I know what the right thing is, and I don't do the right thing. We live in perilous times. This world is rotten to the core. But God has called us to be solid to the core. And as for you, we need to take a stand. And we need to do what's right. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us to live right and think right and do right. Lord, there's someone in this room today who needs to receive Christ as their Savior. I pray that today they would come and, and be saved and receive that free gift of salvation. Lord, for others of us who are here, may, may we receive the challenge given in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we are going to be solid to the core and that we are going to do the right thing. And Lord, may we come before your throne today and just plead the, the cause before you and ask for your help. Lord, for those here today who just need to come and pray, may we sense the freedom in this room to come and do that this morning. Some of, some of the people need to come and pray for themselves. Maybe they need to come and pray for family members. Maybe they want to come and pray for our world, that we would have a positive impact. Lord, help us to come and pray today and be faithful to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Russ is going to play. Praise team is going to sing. Altars are open. I invite you to come right now and pray. Come on, church. Let's pray for our world. Let's pray for our families. Let's pray for ourselves.